Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom is here. Good morning. I feel a bit more awake for this one than I did the first one. And Bubba Simmons is back with us. Bubba of Tribbett. We're going with Tribbett this time, Bubba. Let's stay with Tribbett. Good morning. Hi. Right. You don't want to make him sound like a city slicker being from Arcola. That's right. The zip code there. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a post office in Tribbett? There used to be. There used yeah. to be a post office yeah, right in Tribbett, Bourbon, Trail Lake, uh, all up and down Tribbett Road. Yeah, right, oh. right there on the side of the road. Is it open any longer? Or did no, they close that? No, it's closed. Nearest post office is Leland or Arcola. Well, there is one in Stoneville. Certainly. Which is fascinating, probably because we're here. Well, you know, a lot of people have P.O. boxes at Stoneville that have a physical mailing address, but then they get some mail in a, in a P.O. box, too. I might not have should have said that. That's okay. The experiment station still ha- You can list the P.O. box for the experiment station. So the experiment station has a P.O. box, too. Yeah, that's where all the mail comes to, dude. Because, strangely enough, the 82 Stoneville Road, depending upon what GPS unit you use, will take you to all sorts of different... You can get out by Corteva in a parking lot out there next to a grain (laughs) bin, and that's 82 Stoneville Road, and that's not really 82 Stoneville Road. It doesn't necessarily get you to the experiment station every time. If we have one P.O. box, but then that massive tote of mail that comes every day... We could really blow that post up office or expand it out if we had a single post office box for everybody that got mail over there. That would be a – might surpass Leland. Probably oh. so. A lot of mail comes <laughs> yeah. in and out of Stoneville, I would think. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, but I still am of the firm mind that I'd rather turn my mailbox at home and sometimes at work into just a shredder. Just move the mail through the shredder because that's what I do at home. So much junk mail. I get junk you mail at home. You need a junk mailbox like your email has, you know. Your email has a junk mail. Send it to junk. I never even think about the mail. Amanda checks the mail. If there's something in there that's for me, like my jury summons a couple of weeks ago, then uh, <laughs> she, she, gives it, she gives it to me. Otherwise, I don't ever even know it came. We don't have a shredder at the house. I don't know where all that junk mail goes. I guess she just rips it up. I have a box at home for the stuff that needs to be fed through the shredder. Before we had kids, there used to, we'd put the shredder behind the actual garbage can, and then you could just pass it into the shredder instead of the garbage can. But now that we have kids, they're a little older now. But I have an old dog that probably, she, she's terrified of thunder now, so I can only imagine what a paper shredder would do to her heart rate. <laughs> 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 it thundered in Texas last night, and she just absolutely was beside herself. I mean, you could just barely hear rolling thunder in the west, and she just paced the floor for an hour. Anyway, I digress. Bubba, we were going to talk about the checkoff program this morning and how that's beneficial for the state. But before we start, wait, what? You've got to ask him your question. No, I was going to. That's, okay. what, that's what I'm going to okay. do. That's what I'm going to do. Bubba's a dedicated listener to the podcast, so he knows this is coming, uh, but he has no idea what I'm going to ask him. So, Bubba, what was your first cell phone? My first cell phone? You know, I had a phone in my truck when I was in high school that wasn't a cell phone. It I had a phone of, patch on the radio. That's right, something like that. It was some form of Nokia, maybe uh, whatever preceded the Nokia brick 
okay. I guess, would have been my my first no, cell phone. No bag phone? No, I never had a bag phone. I had that uh, phone in my truck uh, that went off of different towers. So when I was here in the Delta, I was on a certain tower. When I went to school at Mississippi State, I got on another tower. Did the horn so blow when it rained? The horn did blow. It was a feature <laughs> you could set. So if you were out across the field uh, patching a rice levee and heard the horn blowing, you could run back to the truck just in time for him to hang up. You didn't run very fast in your rice fields because the water was about needy. <laughs> you could swim back to the truck, maybe. I thought I was going to have a, a little more difficult question than that, and I appreciate it. You learn interesting things listening to these podcasts, like Tom's favorite breakfast cereal. And I know that's Lucky Charms from several episodes ago. That's right. Interesting stuff. <laughs> that's impressive because I did. When he said that, I was like, what was that? I can't remember. What's fascinating is that's the second time he and I have had that conversation. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a good spot on. I, I was going to say my first cell phone, I, did, I honestly didn't get until I was a PhD student and started dating my now wife. And I don't remember what year that would be, but it wasn't too terribly long ago. And and that phone was like the last cell phone that that Nokia had. It was a metal phone, <laughs> a terrible signal. So I never had the phone patch radio thing in my truck in high school. So, so Bubba and I went to high school together. And because I grew up in Arkansas, so I had a radio in my truck that was on the same radio system that the, my dad's farm was on. And so I could call, cause I started driving maybe before I should have had call my mom. She had the base station at the house. And I could call her from the foot of the bridge. And that was as far as it would go. And I think the first actual cell phone that I had was a bag phone. And that probably was when I went to college. I don't think I had, I don't think I had one in high school. I think bag phones were new technology when you went to college. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Okay. It would have been when I went to college, yeah. I mean, I, I think my father had one at one point, but not for very long, and he really did not want a cell phone. It was like the cordless phone from the house. It's really right. funny to watch movies and see those on there and point to the kids and say, all right, y'all are yeah. so in love with these little phones. Look at that thing. You can't do anything on it but receive and Send a telephone call. That's oh, it. Yeah. You can talk on the phone. But somehow on the Dukes of Hazard, Boss Hogg had a phone <laughs> in his limousine that he could also patch through to the CB and, it was and a- talk to Roscoe. <laughs> Um, but he could also make a phone call on it. And that was in, what, the early 80s. I don't know how he knew about that. That was the futuristic idea behind the Dukes of Hazard at that point. They, uh, clearly. They also never wrecked a car either. made those jumps uh, without error flawlessly we have Bubba today as a guest as a member of the soybean board or the Mississippi soybean promotion board talk about the checkoff and not only the dollars associated with that but the items that you get as a soybean farmer within the state of Mississippi from those checkoff dollars several commodities that we grow here in Mississippi in fact most all commodities participate in a checkoff program. And what a checkoff program is, that's, those are fees that are collected at the first point of sale from the grower. And those fees are turned over to whatever particular entity represents the commodity. And then there will be an appointed board to disperse those funds. So with the case of soybeans that I participate in, you have the Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board, which is your state entity, your 
qualified state soybean board, and you have the United Soybean Board, which uh, represents all of the qualified state soybean boards in the country. The checkoff for soybeans is one-half percent of the price of a bushel of soybeans. So if you take $10 soybeans, that's a nickel. If you take $13 soybeans, which is closer to where we are today, it's about six and a half cents. So six and a half cents of every bushel sold is collected at the first point of sale. With soybeans, half of that money, half of that six and a half cents goes to the state and the other half goes to an organization called the United Soybean Board. So I participate in both organizations. The Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board is made up of 12 members, and those members are nominated by several organizations. Uh, the nominations made to the governor, and the governor makes the appointment. Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation nominates three members. Delta Council nominates three members. The Mississippi Soybean Association nominates three members. And Mississippi Feed and Grain nominates three members. So those 12 members make up the Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board. And they're from various parts of the state. Uh, Northeast Mississippi, certainly here in the Delta, there's uh, quite a few members over in East Mississippi. It's um, South Mississippi down around Natchez. It's, it's a good representation of our soybean growing area. The soybean checkoff was created or established, I think, in 1991. It was part of the 1990 Farm Bill, and it was established by an act of Congress. And the number of seats is actually based on the number of bushels that a state produces. And I can't remember what the breaks are, but if you produce X number, you get one seat. You produce more, you get two seats. Mississippi has three seats on the United Soybean Board, which is, puts us in a good position, really, because the maximum number that a state can have is four. So while the states like Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, those that are producing many, many, many more bushels than we are, they're maxed out at four seats, and we have three. Arkansas has three. So uh, mid the Mid-South is really well represented considering on that board. So that checkoff dollar is paid to the USB, then how does it, the, the portion that comes back to Mississippi or, or the other cooperating state, What's the mechanism for it coming back? It's, it's actually the other way around. So it's collected here locally, and the Department of Ag disperses that money okay. um, All right. back so to the, the QSSB and the other half on to USB. Okay, I got that backwards. So the Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board, what is their role or what is their responsibility with that money? Both responsibilities of, of USB and the Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board are essentially the same, and that is to take those funds and use them for soybean research or promotion. And that's spelled out very clearly in the act that established the checkoff. They can only be used for research or promotion. They cannot be used to affect policy or lobby or things like that. There's another organization called the American Soybean Association 
that that takes care of things like that. But particularly with the Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board, we spend almost all of our dollars, almost all of the checkoff dollars on soybean research. And we, we meet twice a year. And at our annual meeting in February, um, our big meeting in February, we uh, review proposals that have been submitted, many of them by scientists here at Mississippi State, some from scientists uh, with USDA and a few private research firms. We review those proposals and decide whether or not to fund them. The Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board, using their money for research, that's the discretion of that group, correct? Sure. That's uh, primarily where our dollars are spent. There are other boards that have, honestly, quite a bit more money than, than our group does, thinking about the I-states that produce so many soybeans. They use their funds for uh, research, but also for market development and, and international promotion as well. And, and the United Soybean Board does both, really. Uh, they certainly fund some research projects, but they also spend a lot of money uh, on international promotion and market development in other countries. So where's the delineation between what the state board does and what the United Soybean Board does, speaking specifically about sponsoring research? Both of these boards have oversight by USDA because it's a, it's a national checkoff. And the United Soybean Board does a really good job of understanding and knowing what these qualified state soybean boards are doing. We submit our research plan to them or our budget to them. So uh, there's awareness and cooperation and collaboration in all those efforts. The Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board, obviously they're responsible for research done in the state and then the USB, would they fund a project that was Mississippi-centric or do they prefer to do projects more regionally or nationally? Um, certainly some regional projects, but probably more on a national scope. There's the Mid-South uh, Soybean Board and maybe another regional board that can address uh, some regional issues. The Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board contributes funds to the Mid-South Soybean Promotion Board that works collaboratively with Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri. And that's the point I wanted to make. The money's not doing the same thing. You know, the, Mississippi, the money that's in Mississippi is doing stuff to benefit Mississippi, and then the money that is administered by the, the national board is doing stuff that influences nationally. That's, that's exactly right. There's great effort undertaken by both boards to eliminate duplicate research or utilize the research that's done in other areas to, to complement what we do here. There is one additional, the North Central Soybean Research Program, the NCSRP, which is their northern regional board that works mostly with Midwestern states and the Dakotas too, if I'm not mistaken. Bubba, talk some about the other commodities. You mentioned those earlier on, and I know you're representing the, the Soybean Promotion Board, but you mentioned that the other crops have checkoffs too, and I know your dad was involved in the Mississippi Rice Promotion right. Board. he was a member of the Mississippi Rice uh, Promotion Board. Corn has a checkoff. Peanuts also has a checkoff. None of those three are national checkoffs. 
Cotton is a national checkoff program with the other programs. And I think with rice, it's about a penny a bushel. And maybe with corn, it's about a penny a bushel also. I'm not sure what uh, the peanut checkoff is. It was just established a few years ago and is a new group. But they're, they're also other. Those are the crops that we grow in Mississippi that I think of when I think of checkoffs. But Christmas trees also has a checkoff. I think even mushrooms have a checkoff. Certainly beef and pork, dairy, all the, those big industries have a checkoff as well. But we have uh, state boards for those other commodities I mentioned here in Mississippi. And generally, they work just like the Soybean Promotion Board. They do not have, with the exception of cotton, that federal oversight that, that soybeans or cotton would have, however. The members of those boards would be appointed by organizations similar to what you described right. for the Soybean Promotion Board. I think with corn, it's exactly as uh, the way I described. And with rice, it's a little different. Yeah. Um, Farm Bureau, Delta Council, and maybe the uh, Rice Council are the ones that are appointed there. So I, I mentioned rice not being a national checkoff. However, there is a national organization that our state board, our state rice checkoff board does contribute to, and that's the USA Rice Federation. So a lot of that stuff is handled through them. How long are each of those appointments then for the Soybean Promotion Board? You mentioned each of the groups that actually nominate those, and then those are chosen by the governor. Right. How long are those appointed positions for? It's a three-year appointment. Currently no term limits on the state board. With the United Soybean Board, it's a three-year appointment as well. And that appointment's made by the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. And it's three terms that you can serve there. So I think I'm in my eighth year, one more year of my final term and someone else will, will represent Mississippi. Other representatives from Mississippi are Jerry Slocum from Senatobia and Philip Good from Macon. Future priorities for the Soybean Promotion Board, Bubba, do you really recognize or see a need for additional, say, graduate student assistantships and trying to urge students to continue to do further education to promote soybean production in Mississippi, and how does the board feel about that moving forward? That's long been a priority of the Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board, recognizing the need for more researchers in soybeans, and in fact, uh, priorities given to proposals that include a graduate student um, as, as part of the research. So that's something that, that we're very concerned about, and, and something I feel like we've had pretty good return on uh, here in Mississippi by supporting those graduate students. Well, I think it's something that undergraduate students should potentially consider, or at least had they grown up on the farm or know a farmer or know somebody on the board or know one of us that work at the, at the university, because many of us guest lecture on campus or even teach courses or know somebody who teaches those courses. So we're pretty constantly contacted by potential students. And I think that's something that Knowing and understanding that the board sees that as a really important topic moving forward, it's good to see that they foster those additional educational alternatives for students. And that's certainly something that students should be continued to be urged towards moving forward because that's, that's something we all talk about as ag researchers right now is how are we going to train the next generation and who is the next generation of these folks that are going to want to do this? Certainly. 
I've got two or three guys right now that are either all or partially funded through the Soybean Promotion Board, and they we couldn't do that many projects without the, the Soybean Board, so certainly appreciate that. We'll, yeah. One other point that I would like to make, and it's something that is at times a difficult task for us on the board, it's not too difficult to find good research projects because we've got good scientists like the two of you and and many, many others at Mississippi State that uh, submit proposals that are certainly relevant to the issues that we're having in soybean production. But taking the results of that research and then Getting that information out to our growers can be a little difficult. Uh, We have a website, www.mssoy.org, that has tons and tons of information about Mississippi soybean production and certainly reports based on the research, the annual reports based on the research that y'all have done. We get that information also to private consultants, I think, and that serves as a conduit, um, certainly extension itself serves as a conduit of that research. But that's something that that we're always concerned about and we're always working on because if you do the research, and I guess y'all are in this position too, you do the research, you've got to get that information to to the growers, in our case, the ones that are investing in the research and paying for it. And that's not unique to your organization, and we have the same challenge whether it's a funded project or not or just something that we did as a sidebar just to see what would happen where does it go there's always a challenge there and some of it stays more relevant case in point replanting you know some years there's more interest in replanting than there is other years and some of the time we do something and then by the time we are able to talk about it, there's less interest in it. The way we communicate is so different. Thinking about the, uh, where we began talking about cell phones and two-way radios, uh, that has really transformed the way we communicate, I guess, with yeah. everyone having a cell phone and access to information instantly in the field, whether you can take a picture and send it to Tom or read a blog post or listen to podcasts like this. The, the information, the way we distribute it is, is so different today. But the last question I have, and, and Tom may have another, but if you're in a conversation with a grower locally or anywhere in the state, what do you tell him You know, as a member of the Soybean Promotion Board? What is the value of his checkoff back to him? Well, the value is, I mean, what we do with the checkoff is we add value to the soybean. And particularly with the dollars that we spend on research in Mississippi, I think you can look at the trend of our state yields and see that the return from the checkoff has has been phenomenal. Uh, Soybeans is really the most important crop I grow on my farm. And the work that the Soybean Promotion Board has done is, I point to that as to the success that we're having growing soybeans here in Mississippi. Yeah, I don't know what's the what's the state average yield now. Do you know? Trent said it a couple weeks ago. I can tell you what the record was. The record was fifty six bushels, and that was two, three, four years ago, maybe. I yeah. think that's about right. Might have been two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And that's irrigated, non irrigated. That's the entire state. Right. And you know, thinking about Jason when we were kids growing <laughs> that's, that's up, exactly the, one the way thinking. we grew soybeans was almost as an afterthought. Uh, we planted them after cotton was planted 
and they were largely neglected. But I guess about 30 years ago or so, we really started making an effort to improve soybean production and uh, have really ramped up research with regard to soybeans and our, the yields speak for themselves. Yeah, it's incredible where we've come from and to in the time that we've been doing this because, I mean, you're right, sow some soybeans with a fertilizer cart in June. And if they cut, fine. If they didn't, that was I guess that was okay too. Now it's a, a bona fide high input cash crop and high output as well. Nobody had a crop consultant to look at soybeans back in those days. And now you have a tremendous number of acres that are consulted, looked at by a certified crop consultant or a retailer has their feet on that farm. Yeah, they're farmed just as intensely as Anything any else. other crop. Absolutely. Yeah. And I certainly think that's something, I think the relationship that those of us that are agricultural scientists and researchers in general have with the soybean promotion board is is one that we definitely continue to foster and i see that that being a fruitful future because that's you know the work that we do i we can clearly see and and i think sometimes selfishly that it's pretty and pretty invaluable to you all as farmers no doubt but man we appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit down with us do you have any last comments for folks regarding the checkoff you know i i don't but i just want i want those that do contribute to the checkoff and that's every soybean grower in the state to understand that those funds are it's very serious process that we go through when deciding how to award that money to particular projects and there's again federal oversight that that takes place your checkoff dollars are being wisely spent and the return, I think, speaks for itself. I would echo that for the other commodities, too. Without a doubt. Tom and I solicit money from some of the those other boards, too, and it's a rigorous process. There's no knee-jerk decisions being made. I mean, those things are being looked at thoroughly to make sure that they're benefiting the people that need the benefit of it. That's right. And you've got 12 growers in the room that uh, understand crop production, whatever commodity it is, and and make those decisions on your behalf. As usual, we'd like to thank our regular listeners and hope that the comments will continue and you tell us if we're doing a good job. And even if you think we're not doing a good job, you know, that's that's good information too. That's definitely helpful. And as always, we really appreciate Bubba coming in to sit down and chat with us today. Thanks, Bubba. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.